Father, we come before you and we know that the Corinthian church, they were loved by you and loved by the Apostle Paul. But, Father, we understand they had so many problems. And you used Paul to help correct those problems. We would ask, Lord, that if we are experiencing difficulty, practices in the church, things that we should not be doing, things that we should refrain from, or things that we should participate in, I pray that you would make that clear through your word. For this is your church. It belongs to no one person. We had asked that you would bless your word, that it would sink deep into our hearts, and it would produce a fruit that would tend towards righteousness and sanctification. We thank you for taking care of us, Lord, the one who provides, Jehovah Jireh. So, Father, bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 deals with the gifts of the Spirit. Of course, we know the problems that we have encountered so far inside the Corinthian church, the divisions that were there, taking each other to court, the bickering, the backbiting, all of that stuff, the sacrifice food to idols. Can you eat it? Can you not eat it? Well, now it gets down to the spiritual gifts because God gave to the church gifts for the operation of the body of Christ that we all might be blessed in using and have others use their gifts. If we choose not to use our gifts, we are actually damaging the body of Christ or we are inhibiting it more specifically from doing the job it's supposed to be doing. And Paul decides he's going to correct the errors that are taking place inside of the church when it comes to the spiritual gifts. In verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now last week I gave you some homework. I said there are three things that God says through the apostle. He does not want us to be ignorant concerning I gave you the hint. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Do you guys have any comments or did you look it up? Were you able to find what he does not want us to be ignorant about? The other two things, anyone have that? No one got a chance to look at that? Well, I'll let you know what it is. The first one, turn over to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. This deals with things. God wants us to have the information. He wants us to tuck it in our belt, so to speak, put it in our Bibles He does not want us to be ignorant. He does not want us to be uninformed. And Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. A mystery is something that was previously revealed, that not revealed, that is now revealed. Brothers, so that you may not be conceited, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so here, Calvary Chapel, coming from a mostly dispensational view, God has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for the church. They are both his people. But the promises of Abraham have not gone away. I was recently going through a book. I'm still going through a book of systematic theology uh, by J.I. Packer. And he is not a dispensationalist. He is into covenant theology. And he writes from that particular perspective. And he says the church is the same as Israel. Israel is now the church. Church is now Israel. 
And of course, I don't hold to that particular view. God does have a plan for Israel. We know that in the tribulation period, in the book of Revelation, chapter 7 and chapter 14, there are 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel, which means the people of Israel have to remain a distinct people for all of that time, and he has a plan for them. And he even names the tribes, and 12,000 from each tribe in the book of Revelation. So he has a separate plan. You can take up a whole message in being professorial in describing why the scriptures teach that. But for now, I just want to make sure we are not ignorant of the fact that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. Unless we become conceited and say something like, look at Israel, they lost everything. What benefit is there to being a Jew? And, of course, the book of Romans says there is much in every way. For theirs are the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So he delivered the law through the patriarchs, through the laws of Moses, through that whole Old Testament time, so that we might understand how God works throughout history. And he has reserved Israel to the last days. They are going to be the ones who are the evangelists in the last days. Again, it's that 144,000. So we ought not to think of Israel like they have been cursed, and that's it. And throughout history... That has been a problem, even during the Crusades, the uh, Christians at that time trying to get the Jews to convert. And the Jews have been the most oppressed people throughout all of history that we know of. And that's because they're God's chosen people. So we're not to be ignorant of God's plan for Israel, according to the book of Romans. And also we're not to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, their operation inside the church. But we're also not supposed to be ignorant about the second coming of Jesus and the eternal state. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Now I know you guys are familiar with this because we just finished uh, a long teaching in the book of Matthew on the eschatological views of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So we're not supposed to be ignorant about the fact there is going to be a rapture. One minute we'll be here, the next minute we'll be at the Lord. It's also in John chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, it talks about it there. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you that where you where I am, you may be also. And also 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 and 51 talks about how we will be changed in the flash, in a twinkling of an eye. So the Lord does not want us to be ignorant about those three things. Israel, the second coming of Christ and the rapture, being raptured to him, gathered together with him in the clouds, and also the spiritual gifts. So we're going to go through the spiritual gifts. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or excuse me, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if somebody wants to be flippant and come out and say, if they're an atheist and come out and say, well, Jesus is Lord, so what? They can say that, but also Jesus be cursed. Try to get a believing Christian to say, Jesus be cursed. Now, that's going to be difficult. If somebody is not a Christian, and they could easily say, Jesus be cursed. And by the way, this was the habit of the Jews. The Jews would come out and curse all kinds of things. Prayers offered by the Jews, you know, they, they would curse apostates, those who had gone away from the faith. And there's even a section in Scripture that I'll get to here in a second, how the Jews cursed in the Old Testament uh, through the Scriptures all those who turned away from God. Excuse me a moment here. Here we are, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 14. If you turn over to Deuteronomy, I want you to see this, how Scripture even talks about all those individuals who are cursed, who are destined for destruction. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 14, it tells the Levites that they shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice. Cursed is the man, verse 15, who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of a craftsman's hand, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, go ahead and say it. Amen. Amen. Verse 16, cursed is the man who dishonors his father or mother. Then all the people shall say, come on, we can do this. Next one. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people will say, verse 19, Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is the man who has sexual relations with any animal. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is a man who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is the man who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is the man who kills his neighbor secretly. Then all the people shall say, Cursed is the man who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Then all the people shall say, And cursed is a man who does not uphold the word of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people shall say, So you see, there's a habit of cursing people when they didn't do what the Lord said. Now, when Jesus comes along, he claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be the Son of God. They believe he's committing blasphemy, but it's not blasphemy. So what's the Jew going to say? Jesus is cursed. That's what they're going to say. And I'm sure they would say it. And also, Jesus hung on a tree, which means... He was also cursed. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 22 says, If a man guilty of capital offense is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. This is repeated in Acts 5.30, Acts 10.39, and Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 where it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree and so if you have the spirit of christ you will not say christ be cursed you could say if you do not have the spirit of christ jesus is lord but there's no meaning behind it 
There's nothing that would let that person enter into heaven because they do not have the Spirit of God. But like I said before, get a Christian to say, Jesus be cursed. It's not going to happen. So how do we reconcile this idea of Jesus is Lord? Anybody can say it. It has to do with the intent of the heart as much as it does with the words of the mouth. And you just want to keep that in mind. If somebody comes along and says, Jesus is cursed, or cursed be you Christians, those who follow Christ, you know that that is the spirit of Antichrist. And if somebody else comes along and says, Jesus is Lord, I think you can take them at their word that, well, they're believers. Especially if you can detect the sincerity by the spirit of discernment. And discernment is in this chapter here, the spirit of discernment. So, There was this idea that the gifts were operating inside the church. There's a history of curses coming down upon people. And the Jews were famous for that. But we want to make sure that we are walking according to the scriptures and recognizing those who are out there who would say Jesus is Lord and those who would say Jesus is cursed. Make a differentiation. We don't want to ever fall into the trap of saying, well, everybody belongs to the family of God. That is not true. We are called to become children of God. How do you become something that you already are? And so scripture defines that for us. Now going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, here in 4, 5, and 6, you have the Trinity. I don't know if you recognize this, but you have the Spirit. You have the Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. And you have the Father, who is God. All three are there. And, and so there is this idea of having gifts and ministries and operation of those gifts and ministries inside the church. And they are directed by the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. Now these gifts, uh, the word in the Greek is charisma. It is uh, it's unmerited favor, this grace given to us to get these gifts. All of us have at least one gift. Some of us have more than one gift, but every one of us, I believe, has at least one gift. And there are gifts that work in tandem. For instance, if somebody is a pastor teacher, they may have the gift of encouragement, where they come along and they encourage somebody, or they may have the gift of faith along with that, that they trust God, that they have seen God work in times where it just seemed impossible, but God made things happen the way that he said in his word, people getting saved, people being healed, all of those things. But it is the Holy Spirit who delivers these gifts to each one of us. And I believe we get these gifts when we get saved. Now, as far as some people saying, well, but people are naturally gifted. And I think that is true. We are naturally gifted. We have a propensity to do particular things. And that's even by race. You know, where are they really good at mathematics? What country is really good at mathematics? China. China is like the Asian community. They're really good at that. Extremely good. And you can, like, who, which uh, race of people is really tall? The tallest in the world. It's the Scandinavian countries. You go up there and they're just like, there are giants in the land. I feel like grasshoppers when I was there. You know, God gives us particular propensities to do particular things. 
And that's okay. That's good. That's the way God set it up. God wants the nations. God wants the races. He loves them all. And for us, if you were born with a particular propensity, well, there may be a gift that God has given you that fits that propensity. To give an example, an illustration. I have a set of headphones that I wear when I work. And they are awesome. They are the bomb of headphones. Because they protect me from the outside sounds of any equipment, any jackhammer or a piece of equipment that I'm using. I put those on my head and it's great. It goes down, everything goes down to about 22, 23 decibels. It's great. But then I have four buttons on there. One button is on, off, and volume. And I can turn up the volume. If it's a little louder outside, I can turn that up. And I can listen to it. It's all good. And there's a control on the volume. It can only go so high. It's wonderful. It was made for me. And I, I take these. I put them on. I turn the volume on. And I can listen to AM radio. I can listen to FM radio. But then I have two other buttons on there. If I want to listen to music, I can turn to a music radio station and I can also determine, well, what kind of mode is it going to be? Is it news or is it music? Or And there's a particular sound that works better, and I can push that button to do the sound. But if I don't like the AM or the FM radio, then I can hook into Bluetooth. And I have my phone with me, and I get on the Bluetooth, and I go, oh, this is awesome. I can listen to something on YouTube coming through my headphones that doesn't have a wire while I'm working. This is just wonderful. And if I don't want to use that, I can actually hook something up with a cable to go inside line in mode is what it says and I can listen to that and I have the ear protection from the sounds on the outside and be comfortable and listen on the inside those headphones were made for me and I take them out but they are useless without the batteries so God comes along you are headphones he puts double A batteries in you he gives you the power and all of a sudden you are useful You play AM, you play FM, you play Bluetooth, you have line in, you have different modes, and God empowers you to be who you were meant to be, to be the one you were manufactured. God created us, and you can fulfill your destiny in doing that. And so that's how we're to look at the gifts. You were created to do good works when? Before the foundations of the earth. So God fashioned each one of us to do something inside the body of Christ for God's glory and maybe outside of the body of Christ. So that's how the gifts operate. Now, if you say, well, I don't know my gifts. Well, do you have the batteries in? Are you saved? Have you been baptized in the spirit? He'll empower you to operate in that gift. That's how we're supposed to go out into the world. That's how we're supposed to operate in the church. But if you take your gift and you say, you know what? I'm going to walk in the flesh. I'm going to pop those batteries out. I'm just going to carry those around and just not listen to anything that's around me because they will do that as well. You don't have to have sound at all. You can just put them on and have regular headphones and you can tune yourself out to everything around. And there are people who do that. People who are inside the church that decide, I'm not using my gift. I'm not using the batteries. I'm not listening to anything. I'm not going to be of benefit to anyone. I'm just going to bide my time. And that's a tragedy if we don't use our gifts the way that Christ has determined we should. Now, Jesus was a servant, and we are also supposed to be a servant in the same way. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one of you 
should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And when it speaks of its various forms, for instance, I speak, I tell you about the grace of God. I tell you about the forgiveness he offers. I tell you about his protection and his provision. And that's God's grace coming to all of us. But that is no more important than the person who sanitizes everything in the church, who wears the gloves, who makes sure that everybody is protected, to make sure there is no one in need. That job is just as important as anything that I would speak. And many times it is even more important. So the gifts are given to serve others and to administer God's grace. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. So in other words, the gift that you possess, God said, this one is yours. He gives you, a little, it's like a little gift, a present. You take the bow off of that. You open it up. For me? And he said, for moi. It's for you. And you get this gift to operate inside the church to serve others and to administer God's grace. Now, let's go through these. How about the message of wisdom, the first gift there? I think there are, what, eight or nine of these that are listed This is a unique ability to speak forth the wisdom of God, especially in an important situation, as is shown, for instance, as in the life of Paul. Remember when Paul, in Acts chapter 23, he went before the Sanhedrin, and he was being called to account for teaching about Jesus and this gospel and what is all this about. And when he was there, the servant of the high priest came up and struck him on the face, just slapped him right across the face. And, of course, he delivered an insult, and it was to the high priest. He goes, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was the high priest. I think that was just a ruse. I think he knew exactly who the high priest was. Forgive me, I didn't know it was the high priest, yada, yada. I'm sure he knew who the high priest was, but got slapped across the face. And so God gave him incredible wisdom. How can I turn this around? What could I say that would help me in my situation with the Sanhedrin and Bring glory to God. So what he says is, brothers, I have fulfilled my vows in every way this day. And he goes on to say, I am here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's all he had to say. Because in the Sanhedrin, you had two groups. You had the ruling class, which were the Sadducees. And you had those who were Sadducees. They were the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were sad. No, actually, they were happy. The the Sadducees became sad because of what Paul said, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so Paul had to say, who was a Pharisee? He kind of aligns with the Pharisees and says, hey, I'm here because of the resurrection. I'm teaching the resurrection. And the Pharisees go, here, here. And they pound the gavel or whatever they do. And the Sadducees, oh, there's no resurrection. And he caused a war to erupt inside the Sanhedrin where they're arguing back and forth. So Paul just kind of sets back. 
okay, have at it, guys. And all the attention is taken off of him. He had the right words at the right time to speak. There's another case. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. Remember Stephen? They brought him up, and he started giving a sermon. And and the whole sermon is given to us in the uh, book of Acts, chapter 7. And he starts telling the Jews how they came to the place they are today, the whole history going through Moses all the way up to the present day. And then at the very end, he, I'm thinking he points his finger at them. He says, you who crucified the Son of God, and he indicted them. And it says they gnashed their teeth at him. How do you do that? You want to practice that? Can you guys do that? Yeah. Never mind. I won't make you do it. But when you walk out of this place, put your mask on and go. That's what they were doing to Stephen. And then they stoned him. And at that point, he saw heaven opened up. And he said, God, receive my spirit. And he died. So he had wisdom to deliver a message to bring glory to God at that particular point in encouragement to the believers whom I'm sure saw this and it give a memory to Paul who was standing there at the time. He was called Saul at that time. So a message of wisdom where God gives you the right word at the right time. What, what does it say in the Old Testament? Apples of gold. Uh, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It means it's beautiful, it's perfect, it fits. It's so apropos if you have the right thing to say at the right time. And God gives us that kind of gift. And that gift, for somebody who has it, uh, I would love that gift. Be able to say the right thing at the right time and when not to speak at the right time. Second one is the message of knowledge or the word of knowledge. Some would say this just simply means general intelligence. He makes you smart. But I think scripture, if it's a spiritual gift, he gives the ability to declare knowledge that could only be revealed supernaturally. Something that you would know that it was brought to you by God himself gives you that information. Didn't Jesus have a disciple that was called and he saw him sitting under a tree, had knowledge? Jesus, of course, has all the gifts. But knowing something that you didn't previously know, it's given to you supernaturally. That is the word of knowledge or the message of knowledge. Then there's the gift of faith, the conviction of the truth of anything. It's the unique ability to trust God against all circumstances that line themselves up against you. Like this COVID and BLM and locusts and earthquakes and volcanoes and dust from the Sahara. We're all going to die. It's true. We're all going to die but probably not from those things. So we really don't have to worry about that. We can sit back and say, I'm not worried. God's got this under control. He's not sitting up there at the control board in heaven for earth going, oh, I pushed the wrong button. He's not doing that. Everything is just going along the same way. He goes, yeah, I did that. He wants all these things to line up so that he might ultimately be glorified and we can trust him that he's in control. He's not worried. He's not even breaking a sweat. He's not even rubbing his hand across his forehead going, phew, something like that. He is at total peace. So the gift of faith, it's nice to have that kind of trust in God. Then there's the gift of healing, and it's exactly what it means. You walk in, you pray for somebody, they get healed. I've had that happen. Somebody comes in, prays for me, boom, what I had disappeared. 
It, it was the flu, shakes, cold, fever, everything. And somebody came in. He anointed me with oil, prayed for me, and I could feel it. I could actually feel it from the top of my head to my toes. It's like somebody put a filter over my body and just ran it right through, and it all left. And by the time he was done praying and he left my house, I was up. And I feel good. I feel good. You know, I, I, I was healed at that point. I was amazed. I go, wow, I slept through the night. It was, it was wonderful, the gift of healing. But, you know, even the Apostle Paul couldn't exercise the gift at his will. It had to be exercised at the will of the Father. It's a gift given by the Holy Spirit according to the Lordship and decree of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, what do you mean? Remember Timothy, his faithful servant, the one who became the pastor in Ephesus, and he was giving him instruction. The uh, pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, was written to him uh, to help him in his ministry. And First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23 says, Take a little wine for your frequent stomach issues. Why didn't Paul just say, let me pray for you in that stomach thing. We'll fix that. He didn't fix it. And so even though he's an apostle who has the gift of healing, he can't exercise it whenever he wants to. And some people say, well, if you have the gift of healing, go clear to hospital. Is that what God wants me to do? No, I'm not going to do that if I have the gift of healing. And so all of these are supposed to be used in accordance with the will of God. And also miraculous powers. These could be feats of strength, fire being called down from heaven. These are things that follow the apostles. Something incredible, like splitting Mission Bay. Imagine showing up during COVID-19, and you want to go from one side of Mission Bay to the other, and you don't want to walk around. And you, you have a rod, you get out there, and you raise it, and whoosh, the wind comes, everybody comes around. That would be miraculous, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic to see something like that. Would you listen to somebody who was able to do that? You certainly would listen to somebody who was able to part an ocean or a bay or whatever the case might be, a lake. And that's a miraculous power. This is dunamis. This is dynamite, where we get the word dynamite. And that is awesome power. That is the power of God. But again, it's only going to be used when God wants it to be done to act as a testimony for what is to be said. You don't just do these things and not speak. And that's one of the problems today. Several pastors are talking about those churches who are going out and buying into the social gospel. Just go do the works which we are told to do. Feed the poor. uh, Feed the hungry. Clothe those who are poor. Provide for those who do not have. But they make that their whole gospel. They don't tell them about Jesus Christ and the judgment which is to come. And his saving grace that if we just confess and believe that he'll take us to heaven to be with him. They don't even talk about that. They just do the social thing all the time. And we want to make sure we're being a witness if we are engaged in such things. Not just socialize. We want to make sure people understand God's power. Then there's also, number six... The gift of prophecy. Now, this would be a discourse coming from or emanating from divine inspiration where you are maybe foretelling what's going to take place or forth-telling what God's will is. You are speaking for God himself.
either something that's going to take place in the future or something that he wants you or somebody else to know. He speaks directly through the individual. God the Father does. speaks directly through the individual, and that's a word of prophecy. That is a gift, revealing hidden things, comforting the afflicted, admonishing the wicked, reproving, all of those things are with the gift of prophecy. The problem with the gift of prophecy is you have to stick your neck out to do it. And if you stick your neck out, what can happen if you stick your neck out? You can get it lopped right off. And that often happens. Now, I don't know how much you guys are paying attention during this COVID thing of everything that some pastors and some spiritual individuals, they claim to be spiritual, are saying on the Internet. Like there's this one guy, he's, he had a dream. And this dream is, okay, things are bad. And he had the dream that in March, things would be bad. And he goes into great detail about what this is going to be like. And it turns out March was bad. We had COVID, everything being shut down. And then he had another dream. And this other dream is it's going to get bad in September and November where China and Russian soldiers are going to be in the United States. (laughs) I'm just telling you what's out there. And this guy's a pastor it may happen. I don't know. I'm waiting to see if this guy's a false prophet. If he's not a false prophet, I'm going to go, man, I'll bet I'm out of here if that's the case. Because if China and Russia invade the United States with all the patriotic, patriotic military individuals in this country and all of those who are in Congress that would have the ability to stop a foreign invasion, what if they're all gone? Could Russia and China be here? Well, they certainly could. So what else is in September and November? The Feast of Trumpets. What's the Feast of Trumpets? It's supposed to be, according to some, the fulfillment of the rapture when the Feast of Trumpets takes place. So into September, October, and that time, it happens. We're out of here. Russia and China are here. Okay, let's wait and see. Is this going to happen? Pretty exciting times. If that's the case, I'm getting my rapture shoes on, going home and practicing. You know, I'll be going anytime soon. But if it's not, all of these people who are out there, and that's just one guy. There are several people out there saying several different things. Another guy was, <laughs> he's talking about this meteor. <laughs> it, there was a close call with a meteor a couple of years ago, and it's on a seven-year trek, and it goes around. And this guy came out and said, God told me this meteor is going to hit the earth. Is there a meteor going to hit the earth? Yeah, it's called Wormwood. Well, if this lines up with the other guy, when the rapture takes place and this meteor comes around, it's all coming together and we're out of here. This is done. Great. If it's not, okay. They were false in what they had to say. I'm not worried because I want to exercise the gift of faith. I hope I have the gift of faith. I'm just going to stay with the program. Just keep moving ahead. I'm not supposed to worry about it. Remember back last year, the guy in September who was sitting out on the corner over here that had the sign said, the rapture's coming September, was it 23rd? Something like that, or 29th? And you better repent. And he walked by here and he yelled it. I think it was Steve or somebody else. And he came back after September and apologized. He knew he had gotten it wrong. So are we supposed to be unstable? Are we supposed to worry about it? If somebody with the gift of prophecy comes up and they're stating these things, well, you know, they had the gift of prophecy if it comes true. If it doesn't come true, not so much. Let's go to the next one. 
distinguishing or discerning between spirits. What this means is you have supernatural insight into someone of what spirit they are. Now, why is that necessary? Because in the church, there can be wolves in sheep's clothing. Those who come in, they, they just seem, well, they're spiritual. They walk on cloud. They don't even walk. They just float up in the clouds. And, and God is with them and bless them. But the whole time, they are just a wolf. They're a, a member of the enemy's camp. And they can be used maybe for a specific time for that. We know somebody who was used like that. His name was Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter. Oh, would that hurt? Oh, God, oh, God's calling me Satan. This is not a good thing. So you can have that discernment of what spirit somebody is. And you want to make sure to always have somebody around you that has the gift of discernment. How do you know if somebody has the gift of discernment? You know that they've made decisions like this in the past saying, watch out for that woman or watch out for that man. You want to be careful. And the people with the gift of discernment, they just get this, I want to say, a check in their spirit like, not quite right. I, I'm really not sure, but just be careful. And so that's distinguishing of spirits. Then they're speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now I'm going to park for a minute on this one because there has been no gift that is more controversial than this one. And I think scripture is so clear when it comes to this. It's just sometimes we have our preconceived notions. It's like the current political climate that we're in. Are all cops racist? No. Do all lives matter? Yes. But if we have that view, then it's white privilege if we hold on to that. And if, you know, that, that's just not right. That's not full of wisdom. And if somebody says that, you probably have the gift of distinguishing between spirits. And you're going, that's not right. But God wants us to make sure we understand and are not ignorant about not only the three categories I gave you, but also the ways of Satan and how he works inside the church. And Satan has used this gift inside the church to destroy many and to lead others astray, actually shipwrecking their faith. And we want to make sure that we have a full understanding about this. So, tongues can be important for the devotional life of the believer. I'm going to give you about nine points here. I think it's nine. Tongues can be important for the devotional life of a believer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to each excuse me came to rest on each of them now you guys know what a tongue of fire is if you see a fire it's the little wisps that go up as the fire is burning you see them and some go higher and some go lower that's like there's a whole bunch of those that are just burning like this coming up and then they all separate and they land on the head of all the disciples right above the head and it's like up on the head. It would freak me out to see something like that, but that's what the scripture said was taking place. And then what happened after that? 
they saw what seemed to be tongues. And then verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now I have a question. Who were they speaking to? Were they speaking to each other? No. They weren't speaking to each other. They were all speaking in different tongues. How many were there? A hundred and twenty. So a hundred and twenty people. They all start speaking in a different tongue. They're not speaking to each other. They are speaking to God. That's what scripture tells us about the gift of tongues. Now there is a corporate way it's supposed to be used. But that is secondary. But they are still speaking to God when they speak in tongues. So if somebody, you know, talk about the praying in tongues and there's people that sing in tongues and all of that, but it's always directed to God and it's always thanksgiving. So tongues can be an important or can be important for the devotional life of a believer. Now, also with that, I want to make sure you understand, and I didn't write that particular scripture down, but we'll go through it. it the person that speaks in a tongue or prays in a tongue is supposed to always pray for the interpretation because the person who speaks in a tongue may not understand what they're saying unless they have the gift of interpretation. And so that's always a requirement to just what some people would classify as babble. You're not supposed to just babble and just walk away and say, oh, I feel great because the gift was flowing through me. No, you're supposed to pray for the interpretation of that. So going on, secondly, speaking in a tongue is always speaking that is directed towards God. Speaking in a tongue is always being directed towards God. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 it says, Follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Now, how do you think it would sound if somebody in Russia listened to somebody from Mexico speak? It'd be gibberish. When you listen to a Ruski, I, my background of heredity, it goes to uh, Russia somewhere. You speak to a Ruski. Are they going to understand you if you're speaking English? If they don't understand English? No, you're, you're not going to understand them. Uh, go When we go to Cambodia or down to... Uh, uh, Uganda, when they speak, there, there is there's not even close. You ever listen to Chinese? I mean, there is no way you're going to even get one single word of understanding from a language like that. It's just too complicated. There's no way. And imagine 120 people speaking like that at one time. Now, there are churches that practice where, uh, when I've been down in Mexico, sometimes they'll start they'll say pray over the meal and then everybody prays at one time first time it happened it kind of was what is this and everybody prayed at one time and then as you finish the prayer and you got to be louder than everybody else so that they hear you and it's really loud when you do that and and so it just kind of dies down you say amen and everybody knows the word amen and so everybody says amen but this idea of speaking in a tongue You are speaking to God and you may not understand what is being spoken. Number three, tongues has a more limited place in the corporate gathering of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 
verse 18 says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So preference is given to the language of the day and not just the running on and the speaking in tongues. And that's what the church was doing. I used to attend a church that was like that. When I first got saved, everybody would break into tongues. And I thought it was, it was weird listening to that. I was a brand new Christian, just baby. I still had my pampers on, sitting in there inside the church. Not literally, of course, figuratively. But I, I was sitting in, inside the church listening to that, and I thought, these people are weird. Of course, I read scripture later. I found out somebody comes in that doesn't believe. They're going to think you're crazy. And that's kind of what I thought. I, I didn't know any better. I thought they were kind of crazy. Fourth, tongues in a corporate church setting is a sign for unbelievers. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord's tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. And there's confusion that takes place sometimes when the gift of tongues is used. Some interpretation will come out, thus saith the Lord. Now, somebody's wrong here. Somebody spoke if there was an interpreter, and they shouldn't have spoke. And the person who is interpreting, maybe they do have a prophecy from God, but it's not related to the tongues in the interpretation. So prophecy is for the believer, and tongues is for the unbeliever. That's how God uses the tongues. And there, <coughs> excuse me, this next one here, number five, tongues is not a universal gift given to all believers. Um, I've told this story in the past, a, a lead guitarist, when I was playing worship over at uh, Calvary Chapel of Mesa, we had a lead guitarist there. His name was Mark. And Mark was taken to this Pentecostal fellowship or in the house of some Pentecostal believers. And they said, we want to pray for you to receive the gift of tongues. And he goes, okay. But they tied him up in the chair. And then they started praying over him. And they encouraged him, okay, just start speaking in tongues. Kind of like, you know, the old lawnmowers, you take a rope and you'd wrap it around there and like that. That's what they tell them to do. Just go ahead. Just kind of, let's give us some more gas here. You know, pull that thing again and start going kind of like Honda, 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 whatever it might have been. That's how they tried to get him to speak in tongues. Never worked. Some people will say that if you do not speak in tongues, you do not have the gift of the Holy Spirit in you, which is not true. Chapter 12 and verse 30, which we'll get to, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? This is called rhetoric or a rhetorical question. The answer is no. We ask rhetorical questions all the time. Do I look like I want to eat that? You say something, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no, I don't want to eat that. And so we have to understand scripture speaks like that as well. So tongues is not a universal gift for all believers. Also, tongues did not die with the apostles. 
There's a pastor who I love to listen to that believes that the gift of tongues was, is not for today, that it died with the apostles. <clears throat> and they also believe that it is gibberish. Because there are some people who speak in tongues and they repeat phrases sometimes over and over and the, sometimes the interpretation doesn't match the phrase. And, and they use a particular scripture to say that tongues is not for today that it ended, and Scripture says so. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I will read it to you, verses 8 through 12. This is the love section of 1 Corinthians. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now you have to ask yourself, when? When will this happen? And you judge for yourself. You may come up with a different interpretation, but the scripture tells us when this is going to end. It says, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, they take that word perfection, referring to God's holy word, the canon of scripture. When we get the canon of scripture, then tongues will cease because the canon of scripture is meant for the unbeliever to read and get saved. And that's how God's going to speak. But that's not what the scripture tells us here. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Or I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then, when? When these things cease. Then, we shall see face to face. What's that referring to? When we see God face to face, we're going to see him face to face like Moses. Has that happened yet? Well, if it's happened to you, we'll talk afterwards. But no, this hasn't happened yet. And he says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Do you know everyone's first, middle, and last name in here? I don't know everyone's first, middle, and last name. You will know everybody in heaven. Cleophas, oh, great. I've never met you before, but it's nice to see you. It's great to have you here. Gertrude, oh, man, you were a saint from the last century. This is fantastic. I know all about you. Do we know that now? No. Everybody's a stranger. And so I was talking to somebody in this church. You're not a friend. You're an acquaintance. Oh, okay. I'm an acquaintance. But then we're going to be best buds is where we're going to be in heaven. So that's when the prophecy ceases. That's when there is no knowledge. And that's when tongues are going to be stilled. When we see the Lord face to face, we won't have any need of gaining knowledge because God will let us know anything we need to know at the time we need to know it. That's how Jesus operated when he was here on this earth. Seven, tongues when used in a corporate setting is only to be used two or three times. That's it. No more than two or three times. It says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. That's 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty-seven and 28 says, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself on God. And that's number eight. When used in a corporate setting, tongues, they must be used with an interpreter. And so if you go to a church, everybody's speaking in tongues, where's the interpreter? Is one person speaking or a hundred people speaking? God lays it out the way it's supposed to be. And there's a few other things with this, but there is the interpretation of tongues 
also is the final gift. That means somebody can understand a language that they were not born with, whether it's from earth or some people say and it's an angelic language. You know, I'm not going to debate that. It, it really doesn't matter to me. Is the gift of tongues here for today? Can it be used? Yes. Is it vital in the life of an individual believer? Yes, it can be. Does everybody speak in tongues? No, not everybody speaks in tongues, just like not everybody is an apostle or a prophet or a pastor or a teacher. And these things are clear from Scripture. And some would say, well, but, you know, it refers to languages, which are the languages that we know that exist out there. How many languages do you think have existed on the face of this earth? Hundreds and hundreds. How many people groups have come up and then inside the people groups, they speak what you think to be like English. Go down to Louisiana. They speak something, but it's not English, but it's kind of English. And kids in high school, they speak Pig Latin, or maybe that's junior high or middle school. They speak Pig Latin, and if you don't know Pig Latin, you won't know what somebody says when they say, hey, up, she, up, hey. You know, something like that. And if you know what that is, then you understand Pig Latin. But we don't know what is out there, what is not out there. As far as the language is concerned, you can debate all day long, but the scripture is clear. These haven't ceased yet. Now, in a church setting... How should we conduct ourselves? Prophecies better. And that's what Paul says. So with the gifts that are listed here, and there's more, we're going to go through them. We'll pick it up next time in verse 12. So we ended on verse 11. <clears throat> we want to understand how the gifts are supposed to be in operation. Now, the one thing that Lord has given us is the gift of salvation. And what we're going to do with the communion here, remember kind of like a washing machine, when we start doing the worship, what's going to happen is you will go to the outside of the row and you will come this way and you will pick up one cup and you'll go and you'll sit back down in your seat as the songs are being sung. So worship team is going to come up and as we sing the song, it's a good time to reflect on the grace of God and what he has done for us, the, the gifts that he has given to us specifically the gift of life, but secondarily the other gifts, how we can just reach out to him and say, God, thank you for the goodness that you have provided for all of us. And so as the song is being sung, I would invite you to just be in a mode of prayer, asking God for forgiveness for anything as well as thanksgiving. So let's do that.